you have a Bible, you're going to want to open up to John chapter 10. We are going to continue in our study of the I am statements from the book of John, and we'll be in I am the good shepherd. Now, there are actually two I am statements in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd and I am the door. We're going to look at both of those this week, but particularly we will focus on I am the good shepherd. So John chapter 10. Uh, As I was thinking about John 10 this week and sort of the subject of sheep and shepherds, I ran across an article and the title of the article is How Bionic Sheep Could Be Armed Against Wolf Attacks. Now that sounded really cool to me. It kind of grabbed my attention. Uh, And so I read the article and it turns out that what they're talking about is not uh, robotic sheep per se, but actually sheep that are armed with a collar that emits a high-frequency sound that wolves are supposed to hate and be afraid of. So the wolves will hear this sound and run away. So the shepherd doesn't physically have to engage the wolf, but instead he just kind of places this collar around the sheep's neck. Uh, This is a picture of what they uh, think this will look like and how the shepherd can do this. As you can tell, the sheep doesn't look super happy about the collar, but the shepherd is protecting the sheep by putting this collar around his neck. It was an interesting high-tech example of what shepherds have always done, which is protect their flock from wolves. The shepherd's job is to feed the sheep and to care for the sheep, to provide for the sheep, and also to protect the sheep because wolves and other wild animals are a great enemy to the sheep, and wolves are known to be smart, right? We're all familiar, of course, with the story of the wolf in sheep's clothing, right? This is just a silly cartoon picture of that concept. What you may not know is that the idea of wolf's, wolf in sheep's clothing comes from the Bible. Originally, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus talks about false prophets who come dressed like sheep, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They look like they are good teachers, but they are false teachers. As you read through the scripture, you will find that the imagery of shepherd and sheep emerges over and over and over again through the Psalms, through the prophets, and of course makes its way into the New Testament. As you read through the Old Testament, typically God is the shepherd who leads the sheep and the people of Israel are the sheep. So God is our good shepherd and the people of God are the sheep. There are other smaller shepherds, and those are typically the religious leaders of the nation of Israel when you're reading through these passages. But over and over, this imagery of shepherd and sheep emerges through the scriptures, partly because they lived, of course, in an agricultural world where shepherd and sheep would have been a very familiar sight. So to them, they saw this every day. If you think of the first people who visited Jesus when he was born... They were shepherds, right, who came into that stable to see Jesus right after he was born. This was an extremely common sight, and so the scripture uses shepherd and sheep to portray this relationship between a good father and somewhat wandering, aimless, unintelligent animals like sheep. Probably the most famous biblical passage using this imagery is, of course, Psalm 23, which many of you no doubt memorized as children. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me 
Beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's that protection. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, this is not only the most famous psalm about shepherds and sheep, it's probably the most famous psalm in the entire book of Psalms. For thousands of years, the people of God have memorized and recited and remembered this psalm. Uh, It comes up in our worship songs even today, even this morning in one of our songs, we sing, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Whenever we are singing that, we are singing Psalm 23. Because this imagery of God as our shepherd and us as his sheep is one of the most common and powerful messages of the scripture because it speaks to God's love for his people, his provision for his people, and his willingness to provide and protect for his people. Now Jesus will pick up this imagery in John chapter 10 and he calls himself the good shepherd. And that's significant because remember, as we've walked through these I am statements of John, we have learned that almost all of them, in fact, all of them on some level are Jesus's claims to be God in the flesh. Jesus is claiming to be fully human and fully divine. By saying, I am the good shepherd, Jesus is reminding his audience of passages like Psalm 23, which would say, the Lord is my shepherd. Or Ezekiel chapter 34, which we'll read in a little while, which talks about God as the good shepherd who gathers up the sheep and leads them into abundant life. That's what Jesus is saying that he is. And Jesus is also contrasting himself with the false shepherds of the nation of Israel. In John chapter 9, right before our passage, Jesus healed a man who was born blind. You may remember that story. There's this man born blind. Jesus healed him, and then the Jewish leaders in the synagogue uh, brought him forward to give an account for how he was healed, and the man said that Jesus had healed him. And you know what the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, these shepherds of Israel, did to this man? They kicked him out of the synagogue instead of bringing him in and rejoicing that he could now worship at the temple with the people of God. These were shepherds who were more concerned with their own power, their own authority, than they were with the people they were supposed to be shepherding. They didn't have compassion. And so Jesus in John 10 draws a direct contrast between himself and the false shepherds of the nation of Israel saying, I am the good shepherd who has compassion and love for the sheep and provides what they need rather than trying to take advantage of them and use them as a stepping stone for my own authority and my own power. As we walk through John chapter 10 this morning and we look at Jesus as the good shepherd, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, I think this passage is especially relevant for us as we think about the type of shepherd that we want to follow, right? Especially perhaps in a 
political season where we see shepherds on a national and maybe even a global level who often are thinking more about their own authority and power than about the people they are leading. Certainly that may come to mind, but I think more importantly, what ought to come to mind as we think about John 10 is this, on a day-to-day basis, do we trust the good shepherd? That's going to be the fundamental question that we ought to ask as we read John 10. Do you trust the good shepherd? In other words, do you and I look to Jesus to believe that not only that we have eternal life, but as Jesus will say in this passage, that he will provide abundant life, a close connection with him through the power of the Spirit that can never be taken away, no matter what the circumstances of our lives are. Do we look to Jesus to provide life? Do we trust the good shepherd? There are no doubt things in your heart and mind this morning that you came in wanting and wishing for and desiring that you have not attained. Things that may never be a reality in your life that you desperately hope would be. Perhaps you are single and lonely and you deeply desire marriage. Perhaps you are married and lonely and wishing you were married to somebody else. Perhaps your children or your family have not turned out as you had hoped or your career has not turned out as you have hoped or your bank account is not where you wish it was and your heart and your mind and your spirit are struggling to trust the good shepherd. And what we'll see in John 10 is that Jesus will say, I am the good shepherd. I know all of your needs. I know you perfectly. I provide all that you really need because often what you think you need is not truly what you need. And Jesus will say, I protect the sheep from every enemy that could steal them away. Do you and I trust the good shepherd? If you're like me, there are times almost every day where you wonder if he knows you, if he provides for you, and if he will protect you. You wonder if God has your best interests at heart when there's something you desire that you don't have. Do you trust the good shepherd? Day in, day out, moment by moment. Let's look at John 10 as Jesus talks about himself as the good shepherd, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. All right, the first thing that we see in John 10 is this, the good shepherd knows the sheep. The good shepherd knows the sheep. If you imagine the way that it probably was in ancient Israel, the shepherds would place their sheep overnight or when they weren't there, they'd put them in a large holding pen surrounded by some kind of a fence. And in that large pen, there would have been lots of sheep and they would have been sheep that belonged to multiple shepherds. And at the beginning of the day or when the shepherd wanted to lead his sheep out into pasture, he would open that gate And he had a distinctive call that his sheep would recognize. Every shepherd would have a call for his sheep. And so he would issue that call and his sheep would actually separate from the rest of the sheep and follow the shepherd that they know. That's the imagery that Jesus presents here in John chapter 10. 
But Jesus even takes it one step further and he says not only do they know his voice and follow him, but in fact, he knows each of his sheep by name. And he calls them by name and they hear his voice. Now, I don't know if people literally named each individual sheep. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I was not able to find any information about that. But Jesus indicates that the good shepherd knows each sheep by name. And in fact, later on in John chapter 10, verse 16, he will talk about other sheep who are not of this fold, which most everybody reading the passage and interpreting it understands Jesus to be talking about Gentiles who are not a part of the Jewish people. He says, there are these other sheep, not of this flock, that I will call and they will follow me. Here's what Jesus is saying. He knows every single person who is his own and he calls them and they follow him. When he talks about Gentiles, that's most of us in this room. What Jesus is saying is that 2,000 years ago and even before, the creator of the world who spoke the world into existence by the word of his mouth knew your name and decided to call you. And so you are known by the good shepherd. He knows not only the plan for the entire cosmos, he knows you. Every single one of us Longs to be known. What's the sweetest sound you can hear in the English language? Your own name. When somebody calls your name, you look up and you respond to that word like you respond to no other word that is spoken because it speaks to you. Everybody wants to be known. And we want even those who are significant to know our names, don't we? Many years ago, my parents took my brothers and me to a concert. I was about 10 years old, and it was kind of the first big concert we had gone to, and it was this Christian band from the 80s called Petra. Some of you will remember Petra. Some of you will not, and uh, we loved this show, but uh, what was interesting was Petra had this opening act. His name was Jeff Moore. Now, at the time, not a whole lot of people knew Jeff Moore, right, and uh, he was kind of up and coming. Later, he would get a lot of songs on the radio and all of this. Well, he gave this opening act, and then Petra came on. Now, my younger brother, David, was about eight, I think, when we went to this show, seven or eight, and the the noise of Petra's enthusiasm was too much for his little ears. So as soon as they came on, he turned to my parents and said, it's too loud. So my mom walked him out into the foyer. Uh, When they got out in the foyer, they kind of sat down to rest, and they discovered that the opening band, Jeff Moore and his guys, were out in the foyer, and they got into a conversation with my brother David. Uh, He signed some things, and he was real nice, and he asked him some questions and kind of spent some time with him, and then we went home. Now, fast forward about six years to when I was now in high school. Dave was maybe 13, 14. Uh, We went to a Jeff Moore concert. All right, years later. Now imagine in the intervening six years, how many dozens of concerts this man had done, how many thousands of people he had met. Well, we're sitting at this concert and we enjoyed it. And then we kind of hung around afterwards. And uh, as my brother walked by Jeff Moore's signing table at the end of that concert, Jeff Moore looks up at my brother and he goes, David, we meet again. And you should have seen the look on my brother's face. This person of significance knows and remembers my name. My brother is well into his 30s and he still tells this story 
right? <laughs> because it matters to us when someone significant knows our name. Here's what Jesus is saying. The good shepherd, the most important person in the universe who was with God in the beginning. Remember how John started his gospel in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is Jesus. He knows your name, and He calls your name, and you are never left behind. You are never forgotten. You are never out of His memory or mind. And it's not just that He knows our name. It's that He knows everything about us. Look at John chapter 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Now listen to this. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says the relationship between him and the Father. The the level to which Jesus knows the Father, and the Father knows him, that's the level to which Jesus knows you. Now, how well does Jesus know the Father? How well does the Father know Jesus? Remember, when we talk about the Trinity, we talk about one God with three persons, and they all share one purpose. They all share the same attributes of power and holiness and glory. And in fact, Jesus, Hebrews says, is the exact representation of the nature of his Father. There is so much deep and intimate knowledge between Jesus and the Father. It's the closest relationship in the universe. And Jesus says, that's how well I know you. I know every secret desire of your heart. I know everything you long for that you don't have. I know all that you need. And I know it perfectly. Everybody wants to be known like that. Often we look to people hoping they will know us like that. Maybe we look to a parent hoping a parent will understand and know all that we need. Maybe we look to a significant other or a spouse hoping they will understand and know all we need. And what we find is that uh, sin and our finite natures often prevent that. We can't, no matter how well we know somebody here, we can't know them as well as they want to be known. And they don't know us as well as we want to be known. And so we have misunderstanding and frustration and we often don't know each other like we would want to. A couple of years ago around Christmas time, I walked into a grocery store and as I was checking out with my groceries, I got into a conversation with the cashier who was a college age guy. And I said, did you get all your Christmas shopping done yet? And he said, well, almost, I'm not quite there He said, I have a problem. He said, there's a special young lady in my life and I don't know what to get her or if I should get her anything. And he said, then he said, uh, she says she doesn't really want anything. And I said, you would probably be unwise to not go ahead and get her something anyway. And he said, I know, but the struggle is I don't know what she wants. I don't know what to get because she really says and really seems like she doesn't want anything. And uh, I was telling this uh, to somebody later and uh, this person said, well, why doesn't she just say what she means? And I said, well, the problem is uh, she's not quite sure what she means, most likely. Uh, She is a bit confused, but also what she really is trying to say is this. Um, What I really want from you is for you to know what I want without me having to tell you. What I really want is an unprompted 
gesture of love that demonstrates you know me perfectly well. And if I tell you that, then that ruins the whole thing that I want from you, which is I want you to know me perfectly. Now, of course, the problem is that's an impossible standard for any human being to meet. No human being can know another that perfectly, even if he picks the right gift. There will be moments in their relationship that they realize he doesn't know me, she doesn't know me as well as I would like. Jesus says, I know you like the Father knows me and I know the Father. Perfectly. And you and I have days where we think, does God, does God see? Does he know my struggles, the pain of my heart, the things I want that I don't have and may never have in this life? Does he know? And Jesus says, I know you. The good shepherd knows his sheep. You're never forgotten. You're never out of his memory. And not only does the good shepherd know his sheep, he knows them perfectly. Look for a moment at Psalm 139 before we move to the next part of this passage. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Let those words sort of sink into your heart and mind for a moment and think about the type of God who knows you that well. Before there's a word on your tongue, he knows it. He knows when you get up. He knows when you lie down. He knows your deepest thoughts. The good shepherd knows his sheep, and Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. Not only does he know the sheep, but he also provides for the sheep. Look with me at verses 7 to 10. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now go down to verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now here in verses 7 to 10, for just a moment, Jesus switches metaphors. Instead of saying, I'm the good shepherd, he says, I am the door. And what he means is this, similar to what we talked about last week when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He says, I am the door of the sheep. If you want to get to life, you have to go through me. Because through Jesus is eternal life and abundant life. Jesus is saying everything you need, the good shepherd, the savior of the world can provide. I am the way to life. Now here's the challenge that often we do not yearn for or long for what we truly need. And so we have these desires that are not met and we think God has not provided for me. And Jesus says what you need is the life that I provide. 
What you really need is Jesus. You need to know him, to have the spirit of God within you that Jesus says will, will bubble up like rivers of living water unto eternal life. You and I need to have the security that Jesus promises in verses 27 to 29, that even in the face of trial, even in the face of sickness, even in the face of disappointment, and yes, even in the face of death, nothing can snatch us from his hand because we have life that lasts forever. And so the good shepherd always provides what we need. I was thinking as I read this passage about Numbers chapter 11 and how the Israelites in the wilderness had such a difficult time, like we do, trusting God's leading. Remember, God had led them out of Egypt. They had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. God led them miraculously out of Egypt and then he provided for them literally with bread that rained from the sky while they were in the wilderness awaiting to go into the promised land. Y'all know that bread was called manna. Right now, what's interesting is in Numbers 11, they get frustrated because they're tired of manna. And they say, hey, we remember back in Egypt, we had all this great meat and we had these wonderful vegetables, leeks and onions, which doesn't sound great to me, but I guess that was special to them or something. And so uh, they enjoyed what they ate in Egypt and they said, we, all we have now is this stupid manna. And every day, day in and day out, they ate this manna and they forgot what God had done. That in Egypt, yeah, the food may have tasted nice, but they were slaves without their own land, without the ability to freely worship God. What they thought they needed was not what they needed. What they needed was to know God in a place he provided for them. They didn't need better food. Just this week, my family sat down to a meal and we were having soup for dinner and one of my children sat down and he looked at the soup in his bowl and he said, may I have something different, please, for dinner? And uh, of course, the answer is, is no, this is, this is what we're eating. But as he looked at it, you just, you could see like the, the little tear begin to form at the corner of his eye because this soup, whatever dreams he had when he came to the table... We're not being fulfilled by this soup, right? It was making him sad. And in his mind, he needed something different, something better, something that would taste better to him on the way down. Now, the reality is that soup was nutritional. It would meet his needs for calories. It would meet his needs for nutrition. But he didn't want it because he wanted what he wanted and not what he needed. And you and I are all too often the same. God, I need a a different marital status. I need a different spouse. I need kids. I need different kids, better kids. I need a job. I need a better job. I need some money. I need more money. I need to be healthy. I need to be healthier. And the reality is that Jesus says, now the good shepherd always provides what you need because what you need is to know him in a relationship that begins now and extends to eternity. And Jesus says, once I have you in my hands, nobody will snatch you away ever because you belong to me. 
And so he provides what is good. Remember the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders of the time, they weren't concerned at all with providing for the sheep. They were concerned with building authority and building their own kingdom on the backs of the sheep. And in fact, it had been that way for hundreds of years in the nation of Israel. The religious leaders were more concerned with their own their own authority and power, their own position than they were with the needs of the sheep. And Jesus says, no, I am a shepherd who stands like he did when he saw the 5,000 men and women out in the wilderness without food. I am a shepherd who, as it says there, had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And what did he do? He provided from his own hands. If you are in John 10, uh, keep your finger in John 10. And if you can, go over to Ezekiel chapter 34 for a moment. Ezekiel chapter 34, right after the book of Lamentations, which I know you were probably in this morning. Lamentations right after the book of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, if you cannot find it, that's all right. I'm going to read it anyway. All right, Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. The scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or seek. For them. Now go down to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Ezekiel says this, that the shepherds of Israel had tried to fatten themselves rather than the sheep, and God says, I will gather the sheep together. And Ezekiel is this beautiful promise of the coming kingdom of God, where the people of God would dwell safely and have enough to eat and freedom from their enemies forever. And what Jesus talks about in John 10 is he says, I am the living representation of God the good shepherd, because I am God in the flesh and I will gather my people together and give them life that never ends. And Jesus' original hearers, there is no doubt, would have remembered Ezekiel 34 and they also would have thought of King David, the shepherd boy who became king. 
the king to whom it was promised a Messiah would come one day and reign on David's throne over a kingdom of life and perfection that would never end. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd who always provides for the sheep. You know, it's interesting, one of the most quoted passages of the New Testament, at least in our culture, is Philippians chapter 4, 13. You probably all have it memorized. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, and we use it for everything. Right? I, 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 can, I can win a game, I can make more money, I can get that job. But when you read Philippians 4, it's interesting what Paul is actually saying in the context, because in the context he says this, I have learned the secret of being content because I know what it means to go hung, hungry and to be full, to not have enough and to have plenty. And he says, I've learned the secret of being content. And it is this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? Because Paul recognizes that life ultimately is found in Jesus Christ. Whether you don't have enough to eat or you've got way more than you need, the secret of being content is knowing that you have Jesus. And knowing and trusting that the good shepherd always provides the life that we need. And if it came from the shepherd's hand, it is good. And so again, the question becomes, do you and I trust our good shepherd who knows the sheep, who provides for the sheep, even when it doesn't look like what we want? And then do we trust that the good shepherd protects the sheep? Look at verses 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and not concerned about the sheep. Now go down to verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. In other words, Jesus says the hired hands, that is the the temporary leaders of God's people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they don't care for the sheep because they're not their sheep. And so although they stand up and they claim to represent God, the reality is they represent themselves. And Jesus says, they are my sheep. And so you know what I do? When I see the enemies of God closing in, Jesus says, I step in front of the sheep and I lay down my life for the sheep so that Satan and sin and death cannot permanently destroy God's people. And so Jesus would give his life and rise again to protect the sheep that he owned in contrast to the hired hand. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine was sitting with his wife at a coffee shop when a thief came by and grabbed her phone off the table and ran away out of the coffee shop. Uh, My friend saw this happen and he yelled, stop that man, but nobody did. So he got up and he chased him. They were in a mall. He chased him through the mall, dodging and weaving past people to try to catch this guy. They ran outside in the parking lot and the guy kept running and my friend was chasing him down and this thief jumped into his truck and and he had an accomplice waiting with the truck running. They began to drive away. My friend, in order to retrieve his wife's phone, actually jumped onto the side of this guy's truck and began to ride along and the window was open and he said, give me the phone. 
give me the phone. And the guy got so freaked out by someone who would do that, he finally threw the phone out the window. And my friend jumped off and unfortunately never found the phone. It disappeared somewhere in the bushes. But as he told me that story, I couldn't help but wonder, would he have done that for anybody else but his wife? You certainly wouldn't do that for somebody you'd never met, actually risk your life like that to chase down a thief. I mean, all of us have been at Starbucks or whatever, and someone says, will you watch my stuff, right? And, uh, you know, you, you'll, you, admittedly, you'll watch it to a point, right? But you're not going to chase someone down and get into a physical altercation for someone you don't know, at least not normally. But what Jesus says is that because you belong to me, because I know your name, I know everything you need, I know everything about you, I will lay down my life for the sheep. The hired hand, he sees the wolf coming and he goes, they're not that important. Jesus says, absolutely they are. And he steps in front of the sheep and Jesus says, I lay down my life. Why? So I can take it up again. We often believe that our enemies are people in this world or maybe our circumstances. But what we see from the scripture is that the real enemies of the people of God are sin and death and Satan. So that Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 6, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And Jesus died and rose again to defeat those enemies so you and I can have eternal life, the provision that he has promised to us. So that in Colossians chapter 2, it says, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The good shepherd protects the sheep. If you know Jesus Christ, there is no enemy that can permanently destroy you. You have life that can never be taken away because Jesus gave his life to protect you. If you don't know Jesus this morning, the message for you of John 10 is simply this, that there is a good shepherd. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the son of God. And he died for your sin. And he rose again to give you life. And to protect you and me from every enemy that would come against us forever. So that not even death defeats the people of God. Because of what the shepherd has done for us. For those who know Jesus this morning, the question is, again, Do you trust the good shepherd? Do you trust him? Whatever pain you walked in the room with, whatever longing of your heart you walked in the room with, do you believe that Jesus knows it? Have you taken time recently to ponder the fact that he knows your name? He knows your desires. He knows your heart. And his answer to you is that he will provide all you need, abundant life that comes from the Spirit of God, which is no guarantee of an easy path through life, but is a promise that you have a connection with God that will last forever and never be taken away, and that you have eternal life in him, that he is the good shepherd who's provided all we need, and stands in front of the sheep to protect us from anything that would destroy that life 
because of how much he loves us? Do you trust the good shepherd? And will you and I, day by day, moment by moment, express our trust to him? To lay before him in prayer those things that we want, desire, struggle with, fear, and say, God, whatever comes, I trust you. I will follow you. I will obey you, knowing that you've given me the life I need in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Uh, We confess this morning that all too often we refuse to trust you and we refuse to trust Jesus. We think we know what is best. We are often so much like the Israelites in the wilderness looking and saying we need better food when we don't realize what we really need is to know you and to worship you and to have life with you. And so we pray that we would trust you for that and know that whatever comes, you love us and you demonstrated your love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and rose again. So we have a promise of life that will never end. I pray we'd believe that. Help us trust our good shepherd today, tomorrow, and for eternity. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.